Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Okay, if you, uh, if you will, please um, have a seat. We already did that. So uh, have a seat. And then uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to open them up. We're going to be, of course, in, Gal- in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, because we've been there the last number of weeks. We're also going to take some time in John 18 as, as well, if you want to put your finger in John 18. So we are, we are deep into the, uh, to our sermon series where we have been looking at what uh, this list of, of attributes of God that are being formed in the people of God by the Holy Spirit, this, this list that Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls the fruit of the Spirit. And so these are, these are things that when we become Christians, what we believe as Christians is that when we, through repentance, belief, baptism, come to know Christ, that we receive his Holy Spirit and his power is at work in us to do things. Uh, and some of the things that he's doing is reshaping us into, the, uh, into the, the image of himself. And so we see this list of fruits of the Spirit as his attributes that are then being born in us. And so some of those attributes are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've been working through them. We are in the, the penultimate fruit of the Spirit, so the second to last um, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is gentleness. Gentleness, okay? So this one might take just a little bit more explaining. Some of the other ones, love, joy, peace. They are, they, they seem very big. They seem like things that God would care about quite significantly and are a little bit self-explanatory on one level. But this gentleness feels a bit like an outlier. Um, why, what is it exactly does it mean and, and, and what does it mean for us and why is this, if God is going to choose nine words, uh, why is this one of these, these particular words, okay? Well, so that's what we're going to look at today. And as always, in order to, uh, to, to get to the heart and the meaning and the understanding of the Word of God, we really need to go to the source. And so here's, here's an important point as we look at the word gentleness. Jesus described himself as gentle. If you look in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, three words right next to each other. I am gentle. That's God, that's Jesus describing himself, okay? So then if we want to understand what gentleness is, let's take a look then at Jesus said, I am gentle. Let's look at who Jesus was. And we see him do gently kind of things, right? Like uh, we see him take little children into his arms. That seems gentle. Uh, he heals the sick, including early on Peter's mother-in-law, right? Which Peter's in the background going, Right, uh, and uh, could you imagine the kind of brownie points, brownie points he earns with his mother-in-law when he, when she's sick, and he brings a guy, and the guy heals her, and he's, and he's like, "This is great." So, so he is, he is gentle in healing uh, and in compassion, even on his disciples. He has compassion on the crowds. He encourages those who are outcast and vulnerable. All of these things, this healing and uh, and caring, seem like gentle kind of things to do. But then we also see him uh, flip over tables, yell insults at the Pharisees, casting out demons. But I don't know how often it is you dwell on the idea of exorcism. Um, but, uh, um, but when you do, I d- bet you don't think, well, that was gentle. 
right? Like, like casting out an angry demon out of someone so it runs into pigs who then run off a cliff and drown themselves. No one goes, ha, huh, gentle. Right? So, so we see this in we see this in Jesus who calls himself gentle, and yet these other these other actions that we wouldn't normally ascribe that word to. He stands in front of an angry mob who is who is actively executing someone with stone, and he stands in front of them and intercedes. Is that gentle? Hmm. It says he says later on that. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. The scripture tells us later that through all thing, through him, all things were created, even seemingly ungently kind of things like lions, volcanoes, black holes. They don't seem very gentle. But they were all made through Jesus Christ and that by his sheer power, he still holds all things together. The entirety of the universe, from the from the smallest molecule to to the largest of of celestial bodies, he's holding them all together by the power that is in Jesus. And then he says, "Come to me, for I am gentle." So, what is gentleness if it encompasses if it encompasses all of these things? So we have to make one distinction from the start. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. It is not the absence of strength. In fact, the opposite is true. This is going to be our definition of gentleness together, that gentleness is intentionally restrained strength or power. Intentionally restrained strength or power. It's not abdicating strength or power. It's not being ashamed of strength or power. It is controlling it and focusing it so that it can be used for the blessing of others. Gentleness. So here's a non Jesus y example of gentleness, okay? I used to coach basketball when my kids were small. I, kid, I coached little kid basketball. And if you, are, if you are so blessed by the sovereign Lord, when you coach little kid basketball, you have a good point guard. Um, and, uh, and so the point guard helps it to handle bringing the ball up, uh, and, uh, but also is key on defense because ball handling is harder for smaller kids. And so oftentimes your point guard will get a steal at the top of the key on the other end and, uh, and then have a fast break. And when this happens, Right, the crowd erupts, their, their adrenaline goes high. They're going full steam down the court, trying to, trying to keep their dribble up while everyone's yelling for them. And they know the entire team is chasing after them. Right? It's, it is a big moment of adrenaline and strength and power. And they're there. And here's what, here's what happens all the time. They get down there. They, they have brought their dribble all the way to the basket, and they slam the ball off the backboard, and it flies about to half court because they have so much energy built up that they slam it. I mean, they just can't control it. And so I started as a coach, so whenever this would happen, I would be on the sidelines yelling, gentle, gentle. Right? I get my, my coach's voice on. I don't want to, I'm on a microphone. I would scare you if I put it on here, but I'm just yelling, right? gentle. And people are looking around going, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> like, um, because I knew they were going to slam it off the backboard. What I wanted them was they have that power. They have that strength, but they need to control it. They need to restrain it in order to bless, in this case, score points. Right? Um, and and so, so, so there's this call 
in our ears as, uh, as, we, as we take our energy down the court. Gentle. Gentle. So here's a more Jesus-y example, right? Um, so John 18. John 18 describes Jesus being arrested, okay? And so, uh, so there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the first three are known as the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means seen together because they share, they share very similar wording, sometimes the exact wording. They're very, 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 very similar. John is kind of an outlier where he tells the same stories, but from, uh, from a different perspective oftentimes and gives us a new way of seeing some of the same gospel stories. So when you look at something like the arrest of Jesus, you actually have to look at all of the, all of the gospels, the synoptic and John, to, to get a good picture of what is happening. And so, But John starts us off this way. He says, uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which it says in other places. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, so just use your sanctified imagination for a minute. It's dark. They have gathered together officers of the chief priests. There's a band of Roman soldiers, veteran Roman soldiers with armor and weapons, and they have torches and they have lanterns. This is, there's, there's, they're walking up the hill. There's, if you ever get to go to Jerusalem, you can go to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's still olive trees there that are old enough that they might've been around when Jesus was there. Pretty, pretty amazing experience. So you're there uh, in this garden, uh, pitch black at night, and then you, and then you can hear the, the clanking of the sword and the armor and the, and, the, and the light coming up the hill. It would have been very scary and intimidating sort of moment. So, so they come up to Jesus and they say this, um, uh, verse four, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, we've talked in here before about how the, the phrase I am is a very important phrase in the scripture. It's the name of God. And when Moses was about to go down to, uh, to Egypt and let the people out, he was like, God, one question. When I go down there and, I'm going to, and I say, I'm bringing you out, and they say, this God that you are bringing us out, what's he, who is he again? Can you tell me his name? What should I tell them? And God's answer is, I am. I'm the existing one. I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. I am. That's my name. And in John, actually, he, he has seven different times where Jesus uses I am statements. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I, there's, there's I am statements. Here's what happens when Jesus, when they say, who, uh, when, when Jesus says, who are you looking for? It had just said that Jesus knew already what's going on. There's, so why did he ask, who are you looking for? Because there's this important moment of, of, uh, of articulating well what is happening. here. Uh, that Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And here's what happened. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, verse six, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. At the sheer power of his name, right? This, this worked up, armored, pitchforks, torches, 
uh, self-righteous officers of the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers who, would, who were itching for a fight came up. All Jesus said was, I am he, and they all fell down. They drew back and fell down at the power of him simply speaking his name. Now, Peter, we see when we read the synoptics, we don't have time to go into all of them right now. You can read it for yourself. But Peter, here's what happened. Peter, God bless Peter. Like, I love Peter. Um, Peter, who is this gruff fisherman who's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? And, uh, and uh, Peter, who's like, we're going to die for Jesus, right? When they, 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 after Jesus says, I am he, all the people fall down. And then they get up. They kind of dust themselves off and go, well, uh, I guess we're going to rescue now, right? That's a whole other conversation for another day about, I think I probably would have gone, you have a good day, sir, uh, and walk the other way. But they, they went to arrest him. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Peter, the fisherman, draws his sword, which in my imagination, this is not the scripture, this is my imagination, he has trouble doing, right? Because he's a fisherman, right? So he's like, eh, right? right? And so he charges, God bless him, right? He charges in to this, this armed group of soldiers wildly slashing his sword. The fisherman is going to take on the Roman army. And, and what he does, he manages to, in his brutal attack, um, he manages to cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Malchus is his name. That's, that's what he's able to accomplish, right? And so we know that this is a rash, wild, uncontrolled attack by Peter, because if you think about it, I'm no military strategist, right? But if you are going to single-handedly take on a group of well-armed, highly trained Roman soldiers, the first person that you try to take out is not the administrative assistant, right? Like no offense to anyone, to Abby, who is my executive assistant, or any other administrative professionals in the room, but you are not the most intimidating person when surrounded by some Roman soldiers carrying pitchforks and swords. So if you have any kind of remote military strategy idea and you say, I'm going to take out this entire squad, go for the guy named Brutus with SPQR like tattooed on his arm. Like, that's the guy you go for first. And he didn't even, like, he didn't even stab him. He just like, he swung and the, the servant went, whoa, and it nipped his ear and his ear fell off, right? This was the most ridiculous attack ever. And so what would have happened though, if you think about it, the Roman soldiers would have started to react. And they're, they're like, we're here for a fight. We thought this was going to be easy, but look, we get to have a fight. They would have started to draw their swords and their spears. Peter was a dead man, right? And somehow in the midst of it, Jesus just speaks. And he goes like, calm it all down. And everybody stops. The sheer power of who Jesus is. And he picks up Malchus's ear. And he puts it back on his head. He picks it, he heals his ear. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, Put away your sword. I don't need your sword. He says, he says and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is, this is what it basically says um, in Matthew. Don't you know that I could just snap my fingers and the Lord would send legions of angels to my defense? Right? He's like, Peter, I don't need your sword. Peter's still like spinning around, swinging at things. You know, He's like, calm down, Peter. Calm down. There. This is not the place where I need your sword. And what we see in the midst of this moment is the sheer authority and power and ability of Jesus, where on many levels, he could have just wiped all of them out. And yet he restrains 
He has all of the power and authority, and yet he restrains. Peter has very little power and authority um, and doesn't restrain and cuts off a guy's ear um, and, and looks kind of foolish in the process. But we see here Jesus using his power not to destroy this squad of Roman soldiers, but to heal the servant's ear. Gentleness. It's a restrained power that we see, a restrained strength that Jesus has here. Jesus possessed unlimited power, and yet he didn't use it against his enemies. He used it to bless. He fed the 5,000. That takes some power. He calmed the storm. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. That's what he used his power and his strength for. He proved his strength by blessing and by restraint. Never once in all of the scripture does he turn someone into a frog. That's what I would do. I got to be honest with you. Like if I had unlimited cosmic powers, right? And, uh, and there was somebody that was coming against me, I'd be like, right? And they go, and they would, they would hop along on the ground because I just turned them into a frog. That, that is why God has not gifted me with amazing cosmic powers and why I would not take the ring from Frodo um, because it would go badly, right? And so Jesus shows us what, what to do with power. Never once, never once, does he use that kind of power against others? There's this issue with a, a wilting fig tree, but no people were harmed in that, uh, in that situation. We see, we see Jesus use his strength to bless, to heal, to build, and being in his presence would have, would have been awe-inspiring to know his strength and that it was not being used for destruction. Gentleness is intentionally restrained strength or power for the blessing of another. And so when Paul says that this is one of the fruit of the Spirit being born in us as Christians is gentleness, he is calling us to take on that same relationship to strength and power in the world. The Greek word, the Greek root of the word that is translated gentleness here is praos, and it's used in literature outside of the Bible to describe a wild animal that has been tamed. So like a, to be able to put a bridle in its mouth, it still has all the potential, the power and strength, but then can be led by its master to be productive and, uh, and safe and a blessing to others. So if this is what God is calling us to be, to do, the pursuit of gentleness for us begins with seeing God's gentleness to us. God is gentle with you. He's gentle with you. When you struggle and you sin and you rebel and you falter and you make mistakes, and sometimes it's not a mistake, you buy on purpose, did awful things. Uh, he is gentle with you. I don't know your background and what your, what your imagination pictures God's disposition towards you. I don't know if you think of him as this stern kind of taskmaster or with his arms crossed sort of waiting for you to mess up. Um, and gosh, I died on the cross for you, and this, this is what I get? Like, this is the result of my, my sacrifice? That, but what I want you to see, wherever you, I want you to wipe all of those kind of images out and see that God's disposition towards us is gentleness, a restrained strength. And this is, this is all the more important and, and amazing to see because God is not abdicating strength and power. He's still God. Listen to this from Nahum. Okay, from the prophet Nahum, which I know you read 
already today, but I'll just reread it to you as well. Um, the uh, people are like, did everybody read? No, I was kidding. You don't, nobody reads Nahum, right? All right, so um, the Lord is, a, is a, he says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by it. The wrath of God is real. The strength of God is real. And we want a God who is wrathful. We don't want a God who is okay with the things that destroy. We don't want a God that is okay with injustice. We don't want a God that, um, that is okay with evil. We want a God who has ultimate power to, to come against the forces of evil that seek to destroy the creatures of God and the creation of God uh, and seek to destroy us and can stand against them and win. We want him to have wrath and power against them. And yet, in all of that power and justifiable wrath because we are sinning against him, his disposition toward them is to be gentle. To be gentle while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. The majestic, all-powerful sovereign of the universe sees you with love and holds you gently in your frailty. That, not just the description of God and his power that Nahum just gave to us should make us be in awe of him. But then to see that all of that power is not geared towards us, not pushed towards us, not laid upon us in wrath, but instead that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to absorb that wrath, to die in our place so that we didn't have to be the ones to absorb that very just wrath. Now he's even all the more amazing in his gentleness and grace towards us. If you see God as the God of the bony finger pointing at you, taskmaster, ready for you to mess up, guy. I want to give you a different picture, a picture of a gentle God. And for me, I see it many Sundays. I saw it even this morning. We have a deacon in our church named Kildu. His name's Ryan Kildu, but everybody just calls him Kildu. Uh, Ryan, if you don't know Ryan, um, is, a, is a mountain of a man. He's a big boy, right? I mean, he's taller than me. He's bigger than me. And I'm a pretty big guy, right? Um, he, is, he, is, he is a, he's a, uh, a, uh, a strong boulder of a guy. Um, I love Ryan because at the same time that he is, he is a physical specimen of strength. He gives the best hugs that I've ever seen. Like I'm a big guy and people can't hug me usually very well, right? I mean, I'm usually like hugging people here, right? And, and then when Ryan comes, he gets his arms all the way around me and I'm sort of enveloped by him and I'm just like, snuggle, right? Like I just, I just go like, for, I'm just for a minute, I'm safe. There's no one that can get me and there's no responsibility on me in any way. And I'm just like, this is good. I will stay right here. And he's about the only person in the world that I know that can hug me like that. 
And sometimes on a Sunday when he's standing up here in his robes like this, this is a, it's going to be an imposing thing, right? We're like the Phantom of the Opera up here, right? I mean, like, there's, big, there's big vestments and there's, we're standing up here in front of all of these things and doing God things up here. That's going to be an intimidating situation. And so he's standing over here like this and he has a beautiful daughter named Evelyn. And oftentimes Evelyn will break free from Suzanne, his wife, and come running up to the front. And she runs up here and she's about this tall and she's always wearing lace and some kind of pink shoes or something. She oftentimes has like, food smushed on her face, right? And she comes running up and she runs to him with her arms like this. Uh, And she goes, daddy. And he picks her up and he's holding her and he is embracing her and they are loving each other deeply. This grizzly bear of a bearded man and that girl is as safe as anywhere else she could possibly. It's gentleness. It's restrained strength that allows you to bless and keep others safe and care for them with a restrained power. Replace your picture of the bony finger waggling God with a picture of Kildu holding his daughter. It's gentleness. So now, if the Holy Spirit is at work in us in this, to allow us to interact with others in the same way. That's what we're talking about here. God is gentle with us. And so now gentleness, how do we react to others? How do we pursue others in the same kind of gentle way that God is dealing with us? Because we all have power and strength in our lives. This is not just physical power, right? We all have the power with our speech, with our actions, with our attitudes, with our influence, with our, uh, if we're employers or employees or parents or friends at school, we all have the power to either heal or to destroy, to bless uh, and protect or to put people in danger because of our strength and power. All of us do. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter how much money you have, what position you have. All of us have power, strength, and influence in our lives. And the question is, how, what's our relationship to that, and how do we use it? In fact, the Scripture is teaching us that God is at the same time making us stronger and healthier and increasing in us gentleness to use that strength for the care of others. God commands us in Joshua, be strong and courageous. He doesn't go, you know, it would be really helpful if you were strong and courageous. He commands us, be strong and courageous. Strength. That Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Psalm 87 describes the people of God as growing with God from strength to strength. Isaiah chapter 40 says that God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. We see that when we are in the, the presence and in relationship with the God in which all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to there is a strength that is, that is put into us. We are being healed from our frailty into strength in God. Insecure people have to prove their strength or demonstrate their strength to others by tearing them down. God wants us to be secure in his goodness, his power, so much so that we don't have to prove ourselves to others in an unhealthy display of strength. Remember, Jesus proved his power by blessing, by healing, by protecting, not destroying. It takes someone immensely strong to be gentle. 
Because you have to not only have the strength of mind, of heart, of body, but then also the strength of character to restrict its use for blessing only and not for your own gain. This is what the Lord is bringing us. This is the place that he is bringing us to in a culture and a world that is very much a say what you feel whenever you feel it. And you and other people, when they do things, they justify your wrath against them. And so you're, you should put them in their place. You should make sure they know that instead that we're a people of gentleness that reserve that outburst of power or strength even when people deserve it from it's, it's great if we say we should be gentle to those who are suffering, dying, abused, addicted, poor, vulnerable. We should be gentle. And yes, we should because they are, they are broken in, an, in a broken world and there should be a gentleness with which we hold them. But here's the thing. A lot of the people who are, uh, who are suffering and dying and abused and addicted and poor are uh, are not in a place where they want to receive the kind of gentleness that we want to give to them. And hurt people hurt people. And we don't respond with uncaring or with saying, well, then you don't deserve our help. We love them in the way that God has loved us with a gentleness, even in the midst of their wrath towards us. Or little things like when they get your order wrong at the restaurant. Gentle, right? Like, Here's God, the basketball coach. On the side, you've, you've, got, you've got the moment now, right? You've got the fast break coming. What are you going to do? Are you going to bless? Or are you going to slam that ball off the backboard? And so God's off the side going, gentle, right? They get your order wrong at the restaurant, gentle. When they disagree with your political stance, gentle. When your teenager talks back to you, rap, gentle. And then, for the teenagers who right now are like, yeah, parents, when your parents frustrate you, teenagers, gentle. When your spouse snaps at you, gentle. When your pastor says something in his sermon that you don't like, gentle, gentle. How we respond to people, even when they aren't, should mirror how God responds to us when we are oftentimes not. But it's not just reaction, it's also pursuit. How do you pursue the things that you want? Are you going to use power um, to try to get more power so that you can get more things for yourself? Or are you going to use whatever power is given to you and recognize that you are a steward of that power to do what God is calling you to do? That's what Jesus Jesus was a steward. He could have wiped out that entire Roman unit. But instead, he used his power to stop Peter from getting killed, to heal the ear that needed to be healed. And then he went with them. Why didn't they all run away after he said, I am he? And they all fell down? Because this was to fulfill what the Lord had said in the scripture. And Jesus is 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 submitting himself to the will of God and all his power and his influence and, and his, in our case, wealth or education or position or whatever else that we have to do what Jesus did and submit to the will and work of God. That's constrained power, gentleness for the use of blessing others. If you are a gentle people, 
others will find comfort in your strength. There is strength that is scary, and there is strength that is comforting. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, Psalm, 21, Psalm 23 says. Why would, why would a shepherd's staff that he used to, to, like the rod, he would bonk sheep on the head with if they were not doing what they needed to do. The, the, the big stick like our bishops carry as well, a shepherd's crook, they can yank on them. They have the power to care well because those shepherds also kill the wolves that want to destroy the sheep. And they find comfort in his power. You don't want a weak shepherd. You have a weak shepherd who can't defend. We want the good shepherd, Jesus, who has the ability to defend and uses that power to bless. So if this is where, if this is where God is calling us to, how do we get there? Well, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Remember, fruit of the Spirit are not things that, uh, uh, that God says, here's the things that I want you to do. They're not, they're not requests of the Spirit. They're fruit of the Spirit, which means God is the one that is developing these things within us. And so we need to pray that the Holy Spirit works its power within us and participate with him. So let's go back to Jesus in the garden. Before where we picked up the story and the arrest and the, and the, uh, and the soldiers who are coming, Peter, who reacted poorly, Jesus, who chose wisely, um, that they were in two very different places right before this happened. Okay, I, won't, I don't have time to go word for word into this. So I'm just going to have to paraphrase it for you. Okay, but so here's what happened right before this. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to be betrayed unto death. He had told them that. They were, they were distraught, as you can imagine, right? Uh, and so here's what Jesus says to them. Here's how we prepare for what's about to come. We're going to go into the garden, and I want you to stay awake, and I want you to pray. Keep watch and pray. That's how we prepare for what's about to happen. Jesus walks off by himself. He's praying so hard at this moment that he starts sweating blood because he is in anguish and praying. And that's a real medical condition, by the way, that you can get so stressed out. You can literally sweat blood. This is what Jesus is struggling so hard in prayer. God, if it was up to me, the human side of him is saying, I don't want to, be, I don't want to go through the things that I'm going through, but not my will be done, but your will be done. He's praying and he's wrestling and struggling. And he goes back and the disciples are asleep. Now, wait a second before we go, man, those guys couldn't even stay awake. I mean, Jesus does say, could you not tarry one hour, right? He said, but, but it's not just that they were like, ah, this is no big deal. We're going to take a nap. The gospel of Luke actually tells us that they were asleep from sorrow. They had wept themselves to sleep. They were so distraught over the fact that Jesus was telling them that he was going to be arrested, um, that he was going to be betrayed unto death, that instead of being there and praying as, as Jesus had told them to do to prepare, they were, they were scheming. They were like, what are we going to do? I bet Peter said, we have two swords and they won't take him alive as long as I'm next to him, right? They're scheming. They're trying to use their power. They're trying to go, no, how do we, how do we keep this from happening? How do, we, uh, how, do we, uh, how do we stop these things from taking place? And they're so wrapped up and they're so distraught and they're so distressed that they, they fall asleep in weariness. And so when the time comes that that gentleness is needed. Jesus is prayed up. Jesus, Jesus has prepared for that moment 
the biggest moment in human history. He is ready. Peter goes, wait, hey, here's my moment, right? And he's taking this door and he just starts flinging things and slashing and cutting off servants' ears, just reacting because he's not ready because Jesus had said, watch and pray. And he didn't. He stewed and stressed and slept. And so if you want gentleness in your life, because look, things are going to come up over the course of your day that you don't expect, or maybe you do expect, that are going to be hard and difficult and are going to call for a reaction or, um, or a proactive gentleness. You cannot walk into that being wound up by your own concerns and your own Uh, in your own despair, in your own strength, in your own power, because you're going to react like Peter does. You must follow the commands of the master. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. We have to to beg for this from from the Lord, that we start our days knowing that, that God's mercy is new every morning. And if we begin our days thankful for his gentleness towards us and his disposition of love towards us, then we pray every day for him to shape us in that same image. And we prepare by being in the scripture and we prepare by being in prayer. When the lanterns and the pitchforks and the swords come, we know how to react with gentleness. Or if we're like Peter, the one carrying the sword, we know when to use it and when not. But oftentimes, we prepare ourselves to be like Peter. We train ourselves by watching reality television, that everything is about how to have conflict with each other in really awful, unhealthy ways. We learn how to communicate with each other on social media. We we just, we fill our lives with conflict and drama and, uh, and, uh, and unhealthy ways of power and interaction. So why, why do we think that we've got all the drama and conflict in our lives that we have? Because we're preparing for it all the time. We have, to, we have to not sit and stew and sharpen our swords all the time. We have to pray. And when I say pray, I mean pray until we start sweating blood. Jesus himself knew how difficult the task ahead of him was and knew he needed to pray. Why is it that we think we can go through one day in our life without praying? But we do all the time, don't we? We do all the time. We fall back on prayer as a, uh, as a last resort. I've tried everything else. I'm exhausted. I've caused damage. It's not working. God help me. Why did you put me in this situation? Watch. Stay awake. Pray. Be aware. Beg the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to move in us in these ways. Gentleness is related to humility. And, and humility is not thinking less of yourself. Right? The best definition I've ever heard of this is, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less, right? It's, about, it's not about saying, oh, I'm awful and I'm terrible and I'm horrible and, and I'm weak and I'm poor. And I'm... No, we're being moved from strength to strength. We, we are a child of God filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in us. And so we don't have to say what the prophet said of, I am a worm and no man. Not anymore. Not through Jesus Christ, you are not anymore. You are a victorious child of God who is more than conquerors in this life, but not for your own strength and for your own gain. Humility says, 
all of the things that I have are a blessing from God and are a part and a fruit of his mercy and his gentleness. And so therefore, let me use whatever power and authority and strength and gifts that I have been given to bless others. Gentleness. It's our relationship with power and with strength. And it's only the Holy Spirit who can change our hearts to use it properly. So ask the Lord to help you look at your life. Where are you wrathful? Where are you vindictive? Where are you sharp-tongued? Where do you think that people should get what they deserve and that you are God's holy agent that is to bring that justice to them? And instead, stop. Stay awake. Pray. Reflect on God's gentleness to you so that you can reflect that gentleness to others. Pray with me. Lord, we sing your praise because you are gentle to us. If you were abusive, we would have no hope. You are the God who is holy and righteous and wrathful and yet suspends that wrath in gentleness by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us to bring us into your mercy and goodness, to bestow your spirit upon us that we might be healed and to be different from the world that's eating itself. So Lord, let us be a gentle people and let us people know, let the world know as they witness your people that there is a quiet strength, an unshakable strength in the person of God who dwells within us. And let us use the strength that you have given us, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to bless, to heal, to restore, to renew, to protect. Give us a spirit of gentleness, we pray in your name.